of this podcast and this time we'll be discussing an interesting topic regarding cryptocurrency in the system of money laundering and its significant importance on digital fraud prevention. For today's podcast episode, we have invited a veteran banker, a legal professional, and an anti-money laundering compliance expert, Mr. Peter Vandenacker, also a senior partner at the International KYC Group from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. So let's get started. Thank you for listening to Friend Circle and welcome to our podcast. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies have given criminals yet another way to hide their dodgy dealings. But can we use the same tools to fight digital corruption as in the analog world? Typically, Traditional currencies have been used in the process of money laundering. That is, disguising the true origin of illegally obtained funds so that they can spend without arousing suspicion. In theory, however, anything that acts as a store of value and can easily be converted into cash can be used to launder ill-gotten gains. For example, recently it was uncovered that items in the popular computer game Counter-Strike Global Offensive were being bought and sold for money laundering purposes. So it should come as no surprise that as cryptocurrencies have grown in popularity, they have also increasingly been used in the world of financial crime. Money laundering is often used by corrupt dictators, warlords, and other criminals to distance themselves from the true source of their loot and evade justice. It's why we've put so much work into campaigning for 
governments and institutions to crack down on this practice. So any new innovation which could allow the corrupt to bypass anti-money laundering measures is a cause for concern. In some ways, cryptocurrency has the potential to be more transparent than regular currency. The blockchain technology, which is a feature of several cryptocurrencies, most notably Bitcoin, essentially acts as a digital ledger. It stores a permanent record within each Bitcoin of every transaction that coin has been used in, allowing a level of traceability that would be inconceivable with physical cash. However, this transaction record doesn't as yet store any information which would give away the identity of who's spending or receiving the coins. The cryptocurrency industry is currently contemplating solutions which would enable the collection of personal information. But the patchy, sometimes non-existent government oversight of cryptocurrencies gives them little incentive to cooperate. Unless that changes, the usefulness of blockchain for tracking down criminal activity is limited. When laundering money, the aim of the game is to make it as difficult as possible to connect your name with the proceeds of your crimes. One way of doing this is to use complex corporate governance structures with ownership passing from person to person through layer upon layer of overlapping anonymous companies which is also known as shell companies and registered in tax havens where critical information is kept secret or simply not given in the first place and it is very difficult for law enforcement agencies to gain access the real danger of cryptocurrency when it comes to corruption is that it could provide yet another layer of complexity and anonymity making the already difficult task of tracing dodgy payments back to their source all but impossible one of the appeals of cryptocurrency such as bitcoin is its decentralized nature it operates without the need for any kind of coordinating authority like a central bank however this means that when things go wrong it's harder to find someone to hold accountable we've made real progress in pushing national governments to put financial transparency measures into place making it harder for the corrupt to hide their activities but when it comes to cryptocurrency we're very much reliant on privately owned online exchanges to regulate themselves while national governments try to find ways to exercise their authority in the digital realm the recent investigation indicated that this approach is somehow not working the popular bitcoin exchange BTCE allowed users to buy and sell Bitcoin while providing nothing more than a username and an email address, enabling them to bypass the usual checks involved when transferring large amounts of money between bank accounts. Perhaps unsurprisingly, this attracted drug dealers financial criminals and even a Russian state-sponsored hacking group to the platform to launder their illegal profits. The FBI has described it as a hub for cybercrime. 
and the amounts involved were astonishing. In October 2014, the site's users held more than 30 million US dollars worth of bitcoins in total, worth around 680 million US dollars at November 2019 exchange rates. So when it comes to regulating cryptocurrencies, governments still have a lot of catching up to do. While it could be thought that cryptocurrencies exist in the digital ether, free from the usual rules of the physical rim, like all digital entities, they st do still have a real-world footprint. Cryptocurrency exchanges have owners, servers, and registered offices where usual jurisdictions apply and where laws can be enforced. And this is really interesting. In the case of BTCE, the reason why the site's operators were able to get away with their dubious operation for so long was because they hid their identities using the favored tool of analog money launderers which is the anonymous companies as long as shady shell companies are allowed to exist the fight against corruption will be seriously hindered and so tackling digital corruption requires first and foremost a very terrestrial solution and that is to end the use of anonymous companies so that we can find out who owns and operates cryptocurrency sites once we know who they are and are able to hold them accountable we will be able to step up to the new challenge of pushing for a much more effective regulation. And this is to make sure that we can cover all angles and that cryptocurrencies don't become a byword for corruption. In today's podcast episode, we'll be talking to Mr. Peter Vanden Acker, the anti-money laundering compliance expert and presently senior partner at International KYC Group in Amsterdam and Singapore as he shared with us his valuable insights about cryptocurrency and money laundering. It's an honor and privilege to have you, Peter, and welcome to FinCircle. It's a delight to be here with you. Thanks for your time, Peter. Let's probably start on the current state of affairs of the cryptocurrencies and the challenges that we face in our present digital economy. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And thank you very much, Edgar, for, um, for taking this opportunity to um, meet with me. Um, I thought it might be useful for us just to take a, a small step back and just, just see a, what is it? What is this phenomenon we call cryptocurrency? And, and just see how it relates to, compares to traditional currency and, and where then we can then step into uh, the, uh, the, the use and the abuse of this instrument uh, by the criminal organizations as well. 
it, it sort of puts it in a perspective. So if we look at, at cryptocurrency, it's a relatively new phenomenon. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's defined as being a, a digital asset designed to work as a medium of exchange and a store of value, which is similar to what we see with traditional currencies, such as the US dollar or the Euro um, uh, currencies. And what cryptocurrency does, it uses strong cryptography to secure financial transactions, control creation of additional units, and to verify the transfer of assets. That's really very important component. And another area that's, uh, that's interesting for us to discuss is that they are subject to decentralized control on the internet by means of uh, a so-called distributed ledger technology, such as the blockchain. And I'm sure that sounds uh, quite familiar to your listeners as well. And cryptocurrency is just one way to, uh, to define these. There are other words that are often used and they're basically, they mean the same. Sometimes they're referred to as digital currencies or virtual currencies or alternative currencies. Um, so all told at the moment, there are some 4,000, there are more than 4,000 cryptocurrencies and some of them are very well known such as Bitcoin or Ethereum or Tether. But there are also very, very many, uh, very small uh, cryptocurrencies, each in its own right, uh, a cryptocurrency. And um, the, the total market capitalization of all of the, uh, the cryptocurrencies uh, in this market today um, are, is at approximately $1.8 trillion, uh, which, is, which is a phenomenal amount of money when you think about it. It's important here that we recognize that uh, Bitcoin, of all the currencies, all the virtual currencies, cryptocurrencies, is by far the most important um, cryptocurrency. In itself, its market capitalization is um, about 1 trillion of the 1.8 trillion. So uh, next in line uh, would be Ethereum, which is about 200 plus billion dollars in, in market capitalization. And then this, the third and the fourth are at 40, around the 40 billion mark. So you see that, that how important Bitcoin is in the realm of uh, virtual currencies. So what is the difference between cryptocurrencies and the traditional, or what is also called fiat currencies, such as dollars or euros? Well, cryptocurrencies only exist in digital form, so on the internet, whereas traditional currency, the fiat currency exists in the electronic and physical form in cash. Um, it uses, cryptocurrency uses decentralized control. It's on the blockchain. And the traditional currency has centralized control through the central banks. They issue the currencies. Cryptocurrencies, the transfers go directly from person to person. Uh, the, the traditional currencies, the transfers go through banks, at least unless you're uh, handing over physical cash, of course. Um, and the cryptocurrencies, it, there are basically no borders. Uh, and that is a big difference with the traditional currencies, because the circulation with traditional currencies may be restricted by the authorities. You can have capital controls, for example, which would be impossible to, uh, to impose on uh, cryptocurrencies. So very important here also from, uh, from the topic we'll be discussing today is cryptocurrencies, authorities cannot control the accounts. Whereas with traditional and the fiat currencies, they do control the accounts. But both, as I mentioned, are mediums of exchange and stores of value, which, which makes them sound, um, which, which gives them a, a capacity which is similar to each other. Another interesting fact is that both the uh, traditional currency and cryptocurrency rely on trust. I, I believe in cryptocurrency, I believe in Bitcoin, because I know that if I have Bitcoin, there is somebody else who will value Bitcoin in the same way as if I have a dollar, I can, I can use that uh, to pay for something else that I need. So in that sense, they are similar. And 
They rely on the trust of the users. And that trust is supported with the traditional currencies by the fact that there is a centralized control and there's central banks behind them. And that trust is created for cryptocurrencies because of the use of these uh, the, the distributed ledger technology. So the fact that it can be controlled um, in a decentralized manner on the internet. And, but both share that same reliance on trust of the users. And uh, historian and uh, philosopher Yuval Harari, who wrote a famous book called Sapiens, has identified um, money, currency, as the most successful myth that humans have ever devised, because in itself, of course, money is useless. You cannot eat your dollar bill. Uh, you, you will starve if you are not able, if you are on an, a, a tropical island and you have a, a lot of money, but you can't buy any food with it. And it's the same, that basic trust also exists with virtual currencies, but it is based on a different, um, uh, uh, um, it's, 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 it's founded in a different manner, namely by the decentralized control on the internet. So, um, it is, a, it is a growing phenomenon. I mentioned that the market cap is 1.8 trillion. Well, that is just, that is up from 500 billion in November of 2020. So that's in less than a year, it went from 500 billion to 1.8 trillion. And in fact, a year ago today, the total market capitalization of cryptocurrencies was only $176 billion. That is in March, 2020. So you see how how volatile uh, that is, and it's it's um, it's a it's a hallmark of say a new phenomenon that is still moving towards maturity and acceptance in a broader sense. So that is that is basically where we are at the moment um, in uh, in 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 terms of um, how to position uh, cryptocurrencies. The advent of new cryptocurrency channels, uh, Peter, somehow introduced opportunities from an economic perspective, as you had mentioned, as well as potential risks from a security standpoint is concerned. How do you think these underlying threats can somehow be mitigated? Well, you're absolutely right, um, Edgar. There, there are certain very valid uh, benefits uh, to the cryptocurrency developments. Um, one of them being that they are very low cost and there are no restrictions. So you are not limited by possible restrictions imposed by certain governments um, on, on the transfer of, of which would might affect the transfer of uh, uh, the normal currency, the traditional currency. Um, so there are there are some some really big benefits to be uh, to be gained with uh, helping to develop the, uh, the the cryptocurrency market. There are also some threats. Um, we've seen uh, in recent years uh, a lot of negative publicity um, regarding fraud in uh, in which um, uh, a cryptocurrency is used, hacking. Uh, so breaking into uh, a, 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 a exchanges and then stealing money, basically, scam offerings. So criminals using these uh, these 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 hot um, uh, items of exchange by by uh, by putting scams together. There's a lot of market manipulation that goes on because the the liquidity in these um, instruments is not quite as, as as well developed as in the traditional markets, and there are some really big um, worries about um, uh, issues such as SIM swapping, by which you could from one day to the next without you knowing you're still using your 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 phone to to monitor and to to capture the value of your Bitcoin. Uh, but your SIM has been uh, taken over by a, a third party, and suddenly you find out you have lost also access to your to your uh, um, to your uh, cryptocurrency. So there are th those threats and the benefits that are now vying for attention, and um, there's there's quite a lot of activity there that 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 needs still needs to be done. If you've seen. Um, uh, regulators getting more interest, certainly now that the, the, uh, the number of uh, cryptocurrencies 
being offered is so high and that, that the market capitalization is starting to be really serious that um, regulators are also starting to take um, a keener perspective. The difficulty with the what the regulators are facing is that um, whereas the regulators have a clear definition and accept responsibility for traditional currency as it is now, the, the cryptocurrency lacks a few features um, un, uh, amongst them that they are not under the control of the government for it to automatically be included in the regulatory framework. So uh, a, a new set of rules, new set of laws need to be developed to be able to capture uh, cryptocurrency in a regulated manner. And um, in the meantime, a number of countries are taking initiatives in this area, and we can talk a little bit about that uh, later. Singapore has has um, has taken initiative to bring more regulation to the cryptocurrency market. Uh, at the same, and and uh, FinCEN, so the uh, in in the US is also looking at better regulation of the market, uh, and uh, I placing more emphasis on proper identification. Uh, if you want to enter those markets. Um, the difficulty here is that as countries work on this individually, there is a tendency for the market to move to the less regulated countries and that the, the more developed economies and the developed markets start to lose the benefit because they are perhaps seen to be um, too heavily regulated and because there are no borders uh, uh, to speak of for cryptocurrency holders, um, there is a tendency then to move uh, to another jurisdiction. So this is typically a situation where the, uh, the global community would need to act in unison uh, to be able to avoid that there's a the sort of a flight to the least regulated uh, jurisdictions. And, and that is something that the, the, the um, uh, the regulators are struggling with as we speak. We sometimes hear about cryptocurrencies in connection with money laundering. And you've just highlighted as well that cryptocurrencies are not illegal and in fact a growing phenomenon. Can you kindly explain what the link is between the two? Yeah, this is this is a topic which is um, which is getting a lot of attention, and uh, um, the the regulatory authorities are also quite concerned uh, of the potential for cryptocurrencies to be a uh, a significant method for criminals to launder their illicit gains. Um, at this point in time, uh, this is not quite as big a threat as sometimes it is perceived. Um, uh, firstly. Uh, if you if you think about it, um, the the total amount of criminal money, so money that is earned with criminal activities, whether it be um, drug trade or human trafficking or cybercrime or corruption, there are a host of what they call predicate offenses. But the total money that is laundered every year through the financial sector is equal to about one point seven trillion dollars. Now that is a huge amount of money. And uh, what the criminal organizations, the, the, the organized crime that, uh, who are mostly responsible for the largest part of the, of the money laundering, what they're looking for are easy ways to convert that illegal money into legal money. And cryptocurrency has the potential to be an interesting method uh, to do that. And why is that? Um, well, the, 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 what makes it potentially attractive is that there is a lack of regulation surrounding uh, cryptocurrencies, and there's not a lot of regulatory supervision around it. Um, so criminals can see that as a, a way to maintain their anonymity, which is very important. Now, certain cryptocurrencies specifically offer anonymity for their users. And there's um, there's a, uh, a a misunderstanding in the market generally that Bitcoin is also included in it. But I hate to disappoint uh, perhaps some of your listeners, but Bitcoin is not anonymous. You to own Bitcoin, you need to have identified yourself. So Bitcoin is already starting to be a more regulated cryptocurrency and being the biggest one, 
uh, that means that that is um, that is something that uh, it, that that has the, the biggest attention also for of the uh, regulators. So what else is there that makes it uh, interesting? The value can be transferred across borders uh, with cryptocurrencies fast, cheaply, and securely using the distributed ledger technology. Also, what um, what uh, what is typical for the regulated and the traditional currencies is that it can also be used as a political instrument by governments, for example, to impose sanctions on certain countries. Um, so you will not be able to uh, conduct business with, um, for the most part, with with North Korea, for example, using U.S. dollars, because that would subject you to U.S. sanctions. Well, that does not apply to cryptocurrency, because there is no national legislation there. There is no control of these cryptocurrencies. So you can circumvent sanctions legislation by using uh, the cryptocurrency. And you know, like I said, crypto crypto assets cannot be frozen by governments. So if if someone decides to um, impose an uh, uh, impose a, a ban on your uh, on your accounts, um, it, that doesn't work for cryptocurrencies. So there are certain advantages that that the that the criminal organizations would be looking for to uh, to use that uh, to use cryptocurrencies to launder money, and um, just to talk a little bit about the money laundering aspect uh, in general. Um, we see generally in the market, we, 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 we talk about the three phases of money laundering. Um, we talk about the placement where criminal money, which is by and large cash money, because that creates that anonymity in the traditional currency. Um, the first part is the placement phase, which is which means that that criminal cash money is converted to um, money in a bank account, and that is that is always a, quite a tricky uh, part of the um, money laundering phase because it's it's also the part that banks are best able to control. The second part of the uh, money laundering process is called layering, where you're transferring um, money between accounts to distance from yourself, from the criminal activity itself. And uh, you're going across borders and then transferring money back uh, um, a, a number of times. So it becomes increasingly difficult to identify the criminal uh, background of the money that's being transferred. And the final phase of, of uh, money laundering is when that money has been so, so much scrubbed and cleaned that it can be integrated back into the real economy to purchase goods or to reinvest in other illegal activities. So those three phases, actually cryptocurrency can be useful in all three of those phases to, uh, to assist in the money laundering process. There's also unclear legal jurisdiction, uh, Peter, on some cross-border frauds, just making it easier for fraudsters to commit cross-border transaction crimes specifically transpired on the digital realm of uh, virtual currencies. What are the efforts being undertaken by the legal authorities and country regulators to address this particular occurrence? Well, the, the, the regulatory authorities are sitting up and paying attention more and more so uh, of the potential threat, uh, but also of the potential benefit of, um, of cryptocurrency. So what we're seeing is with a lack of a, a global um, uh, mandate to regulate uh, this, this phenomenon is that governments are starting to, to there's a growing alignment uh, between uh, governments to, 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 to get a regulatory framework that, so that, that relies on a couple of aspects. Firstly, um, the, the, the thing that regulators really want to avoid is that cryptocurrency is synonymous with anonymity. So their first challenge will be to ensure that it, it is not possible for um, holders of cryptocurrency to do so anonymously. That's still quite difficult because whereas uh, with Bitcoin, you now have a requirement to register yourself if you want to, uh, want to trade in Bitcoin, there are still ways, the market is, is clever. There are still ways that you can 
create that anonymity anyway. Um, and, and one of the ways that's, that, is, uh, that is being used in the market is what they call mixing service, uh, which is illegal, but it's there. They're, called, they're also called currency tumblers, so that it's, it's not clear so from where the, the, the cryptocurrency is coming from or where it's going. Um, so it's difficult to trace. And, and in that sense, it, it helps that, uh, that, that layering objective of the criminal organizations. And there are also some peer-to-peer -peer transactions that are happening. So it doesn't go through an exchange, but it, it goes directly from peer-to-peer. -peer. And that way, the exchanges don't have the control over what, what happens. And, and we're also seeing an increasing amount of Bitcoin ATMs, for example, where you can just deposit cash dollars and have it credited to your Bitcoin account. Now, the fact that you're depositing cash uh, at a at an ATM means that you you have an, an anonymous deposit of that that uh, traditional cash money that's being uh, put into your um, Bitcoin account. So there are still ways to, that the that this this anonymity is preserved, um, and the the regulatory authorities are trying to address all of these uh, in a way. Uh, not to stifle the development and, and the potential benefits of, uh, of cryptocurrencies, but to, to ensure that it's not abused by criminals um, to, to launder uh, money that they've uh, made illegally. I understand that you have some case studies, Peter, that you would like to share with regards to the variety of online fraud, like the infamous Liberty Reserve scheme from Arthur Budovsky more than a decade ago. The compelling part is that their own virtual currencies, which is called Liberty Dollars, was used in the initial endpoint of transaction from where the money were converted and stored in a fiat currency like US dollars. In view of this, what are the relevant takeaways that we can take from this digital fraud incidences? Yeah, that's, that, that was a really interesting um... Uh, situation, this Liberty Reserve, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's good that we discuss it in the context of, of virtual currencies, because it does share some features. Um, Liberty Reserve could, could have as a tagline, global banking convenience for criminals. That, that is why it was set up. Um, and uh, it, it, was, it, was, um, it was a company set up by, uh, as you said, um, Arthur Budovsky, um, uh, and, and out, it was operating out of Costa Rica uh, from approximately 2006 until it was shut down by the authorities in May uh, of 2013. This, this is an interesting uh, uh, experiment. Um, there were over a million users, of, and 200,000 of which were in the US and 5 million accounts. The interesting thing about the, the Liberty Reserve experiment was that it was backed not by uh, uh, the distributed ledger technology, but it was backed by traditional currency. So in that sense, it is not a true virtual currency. It was, I would describe it sort of as a black hole in, um, in the traditional currency uh, area. Um, and the way it worked was you could, from, from a, uh, let's say you were a criminal and you had managed to uh, pass the, the, the first phase of money laundering, so the placement. So you had already managed to uh, place your, your uh, illicit money on a, say, a dollar bank account. But what you wanted to do was to go through that next phase of, um, of, of layering and, and disguise the illegal origin of that money. Um, it was what Liberty Reserve allowed to happen was that uh, they allowed people to to open accounts in the, their particular their homemade currency, um, and they could do that without uh, supplying any ID. Uh, all they needed was a name, an email address, and birth date. So you could just open a Liberty Reserve account, um, then transfer your dollars to into and convert them into that liberty reserve currency the dollars remained with the company liberty reserve uh, 
backing your deposit in that in that virtual that new currency and then subsequently what you could do was to transfer that that uh, that liberty reserve currency to another liberty reserve currency somewhere around the globe and um, to whoever uh, would be on the other end who also had opened that liberty reserve account anonymously just providing the name email address and the birthday that person could then convert the 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 value against of course a, a hefty commission the value of that liberty reserve currency back into uh, US dollars or euros onto their account, uh, the US dollar account. Um, and subsequently, that means that their US dollars, which originated uh, somewhere else around the globe uh, from an illegal uh, um, uh, source, became a, a readily available US dollar um, um, value that could be used just in, in, in regular days. So the there were approximately 55 million transactions in this company before it was shut down. And the estimate, and you can understand why this was particularly interesting for criminal organizations to launder illegal money because of the anonymity. Um, there is a, an estimate that approximately $6 billion of criminal money was laundered just in that short period of time. So um, hence the black hole um, Arthur Budowski was, by the way, jailed for 20 years, and I think he's still sort of pondering over his, um, uh, his bad luck that, uh, that it, it was such a good scam while it lasted. Uh, so, yes, it, it, is, it is often connected to virtual currencies, but it was, in fact, just a, a criminal scheme to, to, uh, to, un, to circumvent all kinds of controls in the, in the regular uh, traditional currency area. It will also be interesting uh, to describe, Peter, and clarify which stage of the money laundering process of the virtual currency, for instance, that is most valuable for digital fraudsters, given that virtual currency are the most useful instrument to facilitate this what we call layering, as you mentioned, from which distancing the value from its uh, criminal origins. Relatively, which features contribute to this and what can we possibly do to reduce their appeal? Well, the, the, um, as, as mentioned earlier, actually, um, uh, virtual currencies can be used uh, for all three stages of the money laundering process. But what makes it particularly attractive, as you point out, is that it's, it's a perfect instrument. Uh, as long as the anonymity is secured, it's a perfect instrument to uh, effectively, at low cost, um, uh, apply the layering phase, which is to distance the money from the criminal activity. So uh, the fact that it is low cost uh, makes it uh, particularly attractive. Um, criminal organizations, by the way, uh, they're not so concerned about the, uh, about the cost so much of conversion uh, from, from criminal money to clean money. Um, in fact, there's some research has been done that, that uh, in the, the, the whole money laundering process, uh, approximately 40 to 50% of the value of the original value is lost along the way of creating that clean money. But the criminal organizations are more than happy to, to cover that cost if they are secured in, uh, in a way to get that money into a clean account so they can be the respected businessmen and get into politics and that nobody has any suspicion that in fact they are, um, that, they're, that the money has uh, illegal sources. So here, the, the virtual currencies can play a, an interesting role as long as that anonymity is maintained. And that is why the regulators are so keen to um, to, to ensure that, uh, that, that that anonymity is addressed quickly. There are a couple of um, other aspects here that also that are some would make uh, um, that make uh, criminal organizations a little bit reluctant to use these virtual currencies. For one, because it's still a relatively new phenomenon. Um, you see the, the, uh, the, the value uh, of Bitcoin can, can go up and down uh, like a yo-yo. And criminal organizations, basically, 
they're quite a conservative lot. They, they, they are not out to, um, to gain from any appreciation in the value of Bitcoin. They just want to use that instrument to go from black money to money that they can use to, um, to buy their condominium or to, to build their business. So in fact, if they could find a way to avoid potentially uh, all these fluctuations, these, these, uh, these, these fluctuations that we see in the value of these uh, virtual currencies, they would use it. They would, they, would, they would much prefer for it to be very stable. And that's why um, the Liberty Reserve was so interesting because it was directly linked to the value of the dollar that they would not lose any currency, uh, 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 make any currency losses. So the, the low cost uh, of virtual uh, currencies is interesting for the, uh, for the, um, for the criminal organizations. And, but most importantly, it's the anonymity. What still holds them back quite a bit is that um, the whole development of, of virtual currencies, uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, is still relatively immature. We are rapidly evolving and, uh, and the maturity will come in time. But the, the immaturity has a number of um, implications, which the, the, the criminal organizations are just not looking for. They, they want to avoid. One of the things that they're quite interested in, in identifying is that there is enough liquidity because you know, there's so much criminal money that needs to be converted to clean money that um, it, is, it, is, it is not interesting for a criminal organization um, like the Sinaloa cartel or you name it, the, the, the big drug criminal gangs, they're not interested in, in identifying a way to, to clean a million dollars here or half a million dollars there. They, they're talking big money. We want to do a hundred million dollars. We want to do two billion dollars and give us a way to, to do that in the, in the most efficient way. And if it costs money, that's fine. But with the virtual currencies, we're still seeing, because of it's still, it's, it's still maturing and it's still fairly new, um, liquidity issues. So there may not be a market for selling uh, uh, um, uh, a billion dollars worth of, uh, uh, of, of cryptocurrency while maintaining that anonymity. And if you, once you have that cryptocurrency, you want to convert it back into uh, traditional money and you need to have a buyer for that billion dollars as well. So uh, we're not yet at the stage that criminal organizations are making uh, large scale use. Um, in fact, there's, uh, the, it is developing and, and FinCEN, which is the financial intelligence unit uh, in the United States. So that monitors, that, that takes in all of these suspicious activity um, reports that the banks um, uh, have to, are obliged to submit. Um, they estimated that um, in, in 2019, there were about 10, about $10 billion worth of illicit uh, money went through, the, um, went through Bitcoin. So $10 billion, that is a lot of money. But if you think about it, uh, we're still a far cry away from the $1.7 trillion that needs to go through the system that needs to be uh, scrubbed and cleaned every single year before the, um, uh, the criminals are able to use it. So um, the low cost is a benefit. Uh, the, uh, the anonymity is a benefit. Um, but at the same time, the liquidity and the immaturity of the market is a big drawback for criminal organizations. Another interesting case study, uh, Peter, that is worth discussing is this what we call Silk Road, wherein it has recently been discovered as one of the largest virtual market of drug trading. And since it was functioning like a peculiar Bitcoin bank, it was in fact difficult to know the underlying transactions behind it. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, the, the Silk Road, here, here you see um, uh, new developments create then uh, uh, more, um, more intelligence, more creativity. Silk Road was, in, was, uh, was a very interesting uh, development that uses also the virtual currencies as part of its business model. And 
Um, it, it, there have been several versions of the Silk Road uh, uh, um, uh, situation uh, over the years. And basically what Silk Road was, uh, was an online black market, but it made use of the darknet um, for selling drugs, for, for uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's like it's, you can just go to the market and, and buy, your, buy your vegetables. They were able to, to, to be uh, an in-between for buyers and sellers of drugs, for stolen credit cards. There are even murderers for hire um, were, uh, were available on that um, black market. And the virtual currencies were accepted as a mode of uh, exchange. So here you see where uh, the, the, the mode of exchange is starting to be more easily accepted uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the markets. Um, that being one of the, the, uh, one of the, the criteria the other is it's a, it's a storage for value. And that still needs to be, that is much more difficult to achieve um, in terms of uh, what we see with, um, with virtual currencies or cryptocurrencies. Now, why did Silk Road work was that because it was on the dark net and it operated uh, through what they call a, a Tor hidden service, um, online users could browse anonymously and securely, and you could not be traced back to where you sitting behind your desk. Uh, so there was no monitoring of traffic. And in a sense, that sounds like that mixing service that I was uh, mentioning to you um, er earlier on, which is a way to sort of scrub and, and, and uh, hide where the virtual currencies are coming from. So, uh, these these Silk Roads, once they were discovered, they were they were closed down, and then every now and then a new Silk Road uh, will pop up again. But the the regulators and the authorities are now quite uh, alerted to it. Um, so it was not necessarily it's, it was not in itself a uh, a cryptocurrency. It used cryptocurrency. It was an online black market for criminal activities. What are the current developments? surrounding cryptocurrencies, uh, Peter, and, and anti-money laundering, as well as this, what we call terrorism financing. Yeah, they, the, um, uh, we are still, we're watching history in the making, uh, Edgar. Uh, there's, there are lots of um, developments uh, still going on. There's, uh, uh, there's a lot of maturity that still needs to, uh, to, to go on. Um, we mentioned that the 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 the, the currencies being um, uh, a um, uh, being used for, uh, for, for 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 criminal activities, it still remains to be seen. the The current situation is that it's not yet it's not considered a major method to launder criminal money. Um, uh, there is uh, it's not the market is not large enough or liquid enough. Or reliable enough to do large-scale money laundering, um, and Europol has has, uh, has done some research there, and they they think that at this point in time, only about three to four percent of Europe's criminal money is laundered using cryptocurrency at the moment. The volatility in the valuations uh, creates uncertainty, and like I said, you know, criminal organizations. They're, they're, they're good at, at making money with their crimes. What they don't want is, is then to you know, buy some cryptocurrency only to see the value of that cryptocurrency um, decimated uh, overnight because, because of large vol um, uh, volatility of the value. So um, that, makes it un that gives it an uncertainty uh, which the, the criminal organizations are not looking for. Also, cryptocurrencies are not widely accepted as a method of payment to purchase goods. Now you've seen, uh, there, was a, there was interesting uh, uh, news uh, recently about Tesla uh, being prepared to accept a payment for their cars as uh, using Bitcoin. But that is really the exception to the rule. Yes, you can, you, there are instances where you can buy your cup of coffee using Bitcoin uh, uh, or other virtual currencies. But by and large, it is not yet a, it has not reached that kind of level of acceptance that it is uh, accepted as a, as a normal method to purchase goods. So, you know, the criminal organizations, they're not interested to, to have 
a, a huge um, uh, uh, holding of, of Bitcoin because they want to be able to invest in new criminal activities and to be able to uh, live a luxurious life. Um, and for that, they are still heavily reliant on the traditional currencies. So to date, we're not seeing a lot of it happening. There are some signals that, that uh, the, the, uh, the criminal industry is watching this carefully. Uh, some large criminal organizations are thought to be experimenting with cryptocurrencies. So they might be putting it in a little bit at a time just to see how it works. And we've also had some indication that uh, the um, uh, that terrorism financing sometimes will use cryptocurrency as well, but they suffer from the same lack of ability to be able to uh, uh, use it as a method of payment for the, the kind of things that they need to do. So at this point in time, uh, it is not yet a, a major uh, uh, issue in terms of uh, financial crime prevention but uh, it is getting a lot of attention of the regulators. And we do expect that as the market matures, that um, new methods will be found uh, uh, for using these, um, um, these methods, these, these currencies to, uh, to launder money. How do you see the future of cryptocurrencies in relation to money laundering? Well, we've seen we've seen quite a lot of um, um, uh, the uh, uh, kind of movements um, uh, towards better regulation, uh, and it, it depends a little bit on which side of the fence you're on. If you're if you're very much into cryptocurrencies, um, you'll probably be very optimistic about the, the potential for cryptocurrencies in the long run, and some people predict that um, the use of cryptocurrencies will increase in the future as markets mature. I think that that is a fair assumption that it'll happen. Um, and one of the areas that is quite interesting for us to follow, and we don't see a lot of that quite yet, is that um, cryptocurrencies uh, may at some point be, uh, be so widely accepted that there is no need to convert um, uh, to cash out, as they call it. So to convert the cryptocurrency back into fiat currency. And so that it, it, there's this sort of a second layer of, of, uh, of, of payments and currencies that are, are beyond the, the control of governments. Uh, and if that happens, uh, that would be an interesting development for criminals as well, because they would be able to completely circumvent the traditional currencies system controls completely, which our, our whole anti-money laundering system is built around us recognizing um, uh, illegal activity in the traditional fiat currency area. And um, basically it, it's not, we're not very effective there. Uh, at best, what we, what we achieve is we, we catch the dumb criminals because they're still you know walking around uh, depositing large amounts of cash um, and, and it, it's registered as, as being something which is out of the ordinary or they're trying to cross uh, borders um, with a suitcase of, of dollars um, instead of using prepaid credit cards uh, you know which you can put in the inside of your of your, your jacket. Um, so our systems are built to catching the dumb criminals. And the, the, the smart ones are, are looking at this um, at, at methods to, uh, which are far less easy to detect. And uh, the, the cryptocurrency has the potential to do that in the future. So um, again, there are countries that are, are looking at this very closely, trying to coordinate. Um, interesting development here is China has proposed global rules for central bank digital currencies, uh, which means that central banks would be able to uh, uh, communicate uh, with each other using those digital currencies. Um, and generally speaking, in the future, you, can, you, can, you will see that there will be an increase of control and oversight, and at the same time, to try and tap into the efficiency gains, which undoubtedly the, uh, uh, the, the cryptocurrencies have 
um, which we which we don't yet see um, with the traditional currencies, which is still a, a very cumbersome and uh, expensive way um, to uh, to handle uh, value across borders, especially. Are there any international KYC initiatives that you're working on, Peter, that you would like to share with our podcast listening audience? And what are the best way to reach out or contact you? Well, that, that is, that's an interesting uh, question. And, and thanks, um, Edgar. Well, uh, perhaps a little bit of an explanation of who we are. I, KYC, International KYC's mission, we see it as our mission to promote, promote financial integrity. Uh, around the globe and and the way we what we want to achieve there is that we see this as a way to uh help prevent the the, the crime to take place in the first place you know the large criminal organizations are are preying on human misery whether it be human trafficking corruption slavery uh drug trafficking Basically, the most money that's made uh, uh, is just preying on human misery. So it is, it is basically the, the responsibility of all civilized societies to try and stop that. Well, how to do that is, the, is to tackle, is to follow the money, to go after the, and, and prevent criminals um, uh, from enjoying the financial benefits of the crimes they commit. Um, so uh, that, that is what our mission is. And we do that by providing uh, advice to, uh, to organizations, especially in the financial sector, because they are the, the gatekeepers um, for societies in, in that sense. Um, so we provide training, we provide advice on how to organize yourselves and how to recognize um, uh, criminals abusing the system and the services. Um, also, we go to uh, uh, regulators, the, the banking supervision, uh, to, to, uh, to give them some insights on, on what's happening in the field as well. And we also provide services to um, the, the judicial chain, so starting with the financial intelligence unit, so that if there is something suspicious that goes on in the banking sector, for example, they are able to understand and evaluate the significance of that and to identify whether or not there's a, there's a criminal intent. So, so what, that's we, what we've been doing for the past 10 plus years. Um, and uh, it, it's, we see that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Criminals are very creative and um, you know, they're always a step ahead. And I think we need to be realistic there. But, the best we can do is we can make sure that it's just one step ahead of us and that we're not five, six steps behind. Um, and what we do uh, is we then tackle topics which we see as being particularly significant. And, and most recently, we've been developing programs around training in a method which is considered to be probably the most significant um, way that criminals clean their uh, dirty money, which is through trade. International trade offers uh, many um, benefits to criminal organizations to, uh, to, to launder money. And um, it, it's estimated that hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, $600 billion or more every year is uh, in criminal money is being laundered through uh, trade finance. And, and trade finance is, is one of the aspects that, that where it pops up. Um, so we are developing programs around that. Um, uh, we can be reached uh, quite easily. We, uh, we have a website, which is uh, www.i-kyc.com. And uh, we'd be more than happy to get in touch with your listeners if they would send us an email to info at i i Sorry, once again, info at i-kyc.com and we'll be then in touch with them. Thanks so much, Peter, for your remarkable insights on cryptocurrency and money laundering. This has been very helpful indeed. And we wish you all the best and more success in the future. Thank you very much, Edgar.
possible by International KYC Group, Amsterdam, the Netherlands. We would like to express our sincere gratitude to Mr. Peter Van den Acker on sharing us his remarkable views on cryptocurrency and money laundering. We'd like to hear from you. Share us your thoughts regarding our topics and send us a message on the Anchor Voice message box. Your message could end up on our future podcast episode. Make sure you never miss any episodes of Fin Circle by clicking the subscribe button or follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cat, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Amazon Podcasts, and Anchor.fm. You can also reach us on our website at pincircle.wordpress.com and our Facebook page at Pincircle Podcast. This concludes our podcast episode today. Thank you for listening on Pincircle. This is Ed Angelus. Let's catch up again soon.